Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by dinosaurs, they were wiped out by an asteroid and getting their revenge by turning into oil and slowly suffocating us to death. <laughs> Clever girl. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Harley's Gourmet Dog Food for the classy canine, not for human consumption. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we are filmmakers, writers, actors, uh, storytellers, liars. I don't know. You you <laughs> pick your label and it all works. Um, and we like to use all our lying capabilities and and deconstructing stories and films and uh seeing how they work and todd i'm having like the best week ever for me it started i went to atlanta for a new client we got to go see this really old nearly 100 year old theater that's been in atlanta for just ages and ages um built right at the start or opened right at the start of the uh, uh great depression actually um not how you usually want to start a theater but from there got back home and was able to like log into hulu and all kinds of magical things opened up i uh there's this new series from the the same creators from uh behind normal people which i was a big fan of um and they just dropped a new one from sally rooney one of her novels adapted by lenny abramson completely not how you pronounce that i'm sure but uh and i just loved it and i'm just kind of easing my way through that and then yesterday i wake up to find two new films from two of my favorite actors that uh vanessa kirby who is just brilliant pieces of a woman just melted my face and now she has this new film out or, or new to me at least uh, called italian studies where again she is just absolutely entrancing and then uh, i'm also just a massive massive fan of uh, samara weaving who is just an an absolutely astronomical talent um, everything she does she elevates the material if you if you ever feel like as a writer i'm just not that good hire great actors and they will just elevate your material um, and she is just incredible to watch if you watch like probably her last five or ten things in her list uh, you're gonna have an amazing time uh, because i just think she brings so much and now today i am on the the on skype with three of my favorite people on the planet my god dude it just doesn't get any better of course you yourself todd uh but uh, we are also joined by the indomitable joe howes and the equally indomitable heather howes all taking place from new zealand welcome to the show you two kiara kiara how's it going amazing i i am so impressed with y'all y'all have just a, a laundry list of titles that go next to your name heather is a singer and actress she is uh, an incredible burlesque performer uh along with being like a, a therapy massage i i forget your yeah. uh, exact <laughs> title perfect and also you have some uh, history working for one of these weird places that they call Weta. Uh, you, you, did, you did some work uh, on the workshop side uh, to round out yes, uh, the, the two of you. And then Joe, my God, a drummer, musician, uh, you do visual effects. Uh, you work for Weta Digital slash Unity. And I'm blanking on all the other things oh you're an actor like and a writer yeah, how we a, know him a, yeah, yeah that's how we met <laughs> right. uh, through your brilliant acting my god 
Y'all too. How are y'all doing today? We're doing good. Yeah, doing fantastic this morning. We've been we've been looking forward to this slash. I don't know about Heather. I've been so nervous about it because <laughs> like I I just love the pestle. Like I was just in the shower the other morning listening to your rant about Netflix, <laughs> washing my inner eyes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Wes, that's such a good idea. I think so highly of you guys and I think so highly of the show. And it's like I'm you know, my worry is well, yeah, and then Joe ruined the pestle. But <laughs> uh, yeah. Not possible, not my friend. That. Not possible. <laughs> You bring us to it. You, you guys bring us to another level. <laughs> For real. For real. And Heather, I'm so excited to have you on. Um, I, I, oh my gosh, you know, thank you. Love your energy. And so I'm, I'm happy you're here. Hopefully you're equally as happy and, uh, to do oh this. Oh my God. Favor. Yes. <laughs> Check out the outfit today. Yes. I have my even star. Elvish. <laughs> oh my God. I have my, my leaf earrings. Cassandra creations. Absolutely adore it. <laughs> yeah. You remember, uh, Chris and, Chris and Cassie from the Blade Runner 2049 podcast. Uh, Cassie made those uh, earrings. My earrings. Whoa. That's she amazing. She makes lots of things. <laughs> that, was one of, that was one of our favorite episodes. As we go back and look, we've talked about our favorite oh. episodes, and that one definitely was up there. I like, I, I loved our Europa report one and stuff. And, and, and anytime we have like, you know, really interesting guests and, and, and stuff, but, but that one just took it to another level just because of the insight that they could, that they brought into the making of such an, such an amazing film. So it, right? yeah, we were at a, a Viking <laughs> festival with them last weekend called the Northwood Viking festival. And Chris brought his forge out and he was forging, <sighs> stuff out there and i was just he just started talking to this woman about how well in the archaeological record bronze lasts a lot longer in the ground iron just wants to become rock again so we just don't have a lot of iron artifacts but we have tons of bronze artifacts so that's why bronze gets overrepresented in the understanding of blacksmithing and history and i'm just watching him like that guy can just he's just fascinating <laughs> i just love listening to him i love that oh my god well, I am excited to have y'all here. I think this is going to be a really fun episode. Yeah. So what are they here to discuss, Todd? Yeah, today today we are covering Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. So if you haven't seen that, uh, that film, please pause this episode and go watch it because if we're going to spoil anything. It's going to be everything uh, on this one. <laughs> A hundred percent. We'll talk about so many things. I will try to contain myself and uh, open up the floor as much as possible. But I do want to touch on some of the story and writing and ask the the question, is there a deus ex machina problem? Um, also want to look at a little bit of the sound design and some of the music cues. And of course, I want to have a showdown. Uh, Joe versus Heather, Lord of the Rings trivia challenge extravaganza. Oh, no. <laughs> Ah, the pupil has become the master. We'll see. That's right. We're going to talk about all that and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. Gandalf and Aragorn lead the world of men against Sauron's army to draw his gaze from Frodo and Sam as they approach Mount Doom with the One Ring. It's directed by Peter Jackson, screenplay by Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens and Peter Jackson, based on the novel by J.R.R. Tolkien, cinematography by Andrew Lesney. It's starring Elijah Wood as Frodo, Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn, uh, Ian McKellen at McKellen as Gandalf, Orlando Bloom as Legolas, John Rhys Davies as Gimli, uh, Sean Astin as Sam, Billy Boyd as Pippin, Dominic Monaghan as Mary, Miranda Otto as Ewan, 
uh, Liv Tyler as Arwen and Andy Serkis as Gollum. It's so hard to write good dialogue. I think my problem as a writer is I overwrite. And so I'm getting better and better at going back through my writing and deleting and leaving more to the actor. Because if you look at that little exchange on the page, it's like four sentences. But it's all the the breath that they take between the moments. It's everything that's happening between the lines and turning what on the pages, you know, three words together into three different sentences, three different beats or, or what have you. Um, and it's just beautiful just to watch Pip as Gandalf is speaking, right? We're not even watching Gandalf delivering this really great monologue. We're watching Pippin and it's just gorgeous. So all that waxing aside, Todd, I, I, I definitely want to hear from the guests, but, uh, with all good things, I, I have to start with you. Um, and so I want to know if, uh, two things right off the bat. Um, one, where does this, it's not really fair to rank these movies, though everyone does because they're really one big movie, but I'm, I'm going to want to hear where this ranks in the, in the three, but then two, Secondly, um, I also want to hear if this, you know, if this is a the, a worthy conclusion to this epic story. Yeah. So, uh, so, man, favorite of the three. I would say, I mean, I'm the first one is just incredible. And the way that it ends just really hits me hard every single time. Uh, but. I would say this one's probably second, um, only because the the very end is a little cheese, but other, mm. but when they're at Mount Doom, every time, I mean, I've seen this movie several times and when they're at Mount Doom and, and Gollum falls in and Frodo's hanging there and Sam comes and he says, don't you let go. I like, I cry every time, every single time. This time was no different. And, and it just, it, for me, this is a story, this is like a story that like anybody can really get behind because everybody needs a Sam. Like Sam is the story to me for whatever. I don't know if it's, it's, 
maybe some people see themselves as Frodo. I, and that's, that's fine. But I just love Sam. Sam is the one who he saves the day every single time. And I think we've talked about this, you know, when we've covered other, others of the, of the films, but this one more than most, just, he drags him the whole way. Especially now, because he's so oh Heather, <laughs> Heather's Heather's got the feels too. Um, Already, <laughs> yeah. And there, so those moments, like the moment you just played, is such a beautiful moment. And the timing of the delivery, the fact that we are looking at Pippin, makes it even more impactful. Because then it feels like he's talking to us rather than just he's talking. Um, and then, and then you know the the battle scenes are incredible. And even though we have a lot of exposition, we need exposition in a film like this. It is so grand. There are so many people, so many characters in it, and they all have names that none of us have today. So we need to hear them repeated. We need to to know where this guy is going when he rides off on his horse. We need to know all this stuff. And they give it to us in a way that is repeated and yet doesn't feel over repetitious. It feels like it's a simple reminder of either where they are or where they're going. Um, and that's so hard to do. We talk about on this podcast all the time that exposition is very dangerous because it's in a lot of ways, it can assume that the, that the viewer is being led along, like pulled along, you know, or is less intelligent, like, oh, I've got to give you this information. But in this regard, because the world is so big and there's so many players, you know, they kind of use that and that they don't overuse it. And I think that that's, it's masterfully done. The dialogue in those in those scenes that you were just talk that you just showed Wes and you were just talking about the dialogue and how hard it is, especially in those really emotional moments, is used very sparingly. Like it is so easy for Sam as 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 Frodo is hanging there, for Sam to say more than he does, but all he says is "Don't you let go." That's like that's it may be one other line, but that's really it. He said, and then grab, like, take my hand or something. And that's it. He doesn't wax poetic. There's no time for that. And the performance are so good because you can see it in Frodo's eyes. Like his, it's changed. He just changes. And he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this next thing, you know, but then there, it's not over. You know, they, they, they try to escape. They can't escape. They're just, you know, but Sam, no, Sam makes it known. I, this is where I belong. I belong here with you still to the very end, that dude. And I watched the, all three of these with my son last year and he was absolutely floored every step of the way, but especially in that, and Sam was his favorite. And before I even said anything, it was over. I said, what do you think, dude? He goes, Sam was awesome. Like that was the first thing he said out of his mouth, but everything all about it. And I'm going to get off my, my soapbox. All, everything about it is just beautiful. I thought the slow motion stuff at the end I could do without, but it's, it's other than that, uh, it's just an absolute masterpiece. How you make something like this, I, I have no idea. And I, and it's so, it's so funny that I've seen, I've seen directors talk about like Christopher Nolan. I've seen him talk about like, I, I come up with an idea that I have no idea how to do. And I think, okay, that's an idea I want to go after. Cause I have no idea how to do that. And that's, that's, that's actually refreshing to someone like myself who, you know, a lot of times I don't know how to do what I'm doing, but I just do it anyway, or I figured out along the way, I make mistakes along the way, you know, and I wonder how much of this Peter Jackson before he started the first one, absolutely. I know exactly how to do this, you know, and how much of it he leaned on his cast and his crew and, and, you know, the, the visual effects and everything. 
um, because it's such a massive undertaking, but I'm so glad that they did it. It's, it's a, it's a masterpiece. Absolutely. To me. Heather, I would love to hear some of the the background. I don't know when the rings came into your life, but I, my, my <laughs> assumption is that it's, it's correlated to about the same time one Joseph, uh, house, uh, entered your life, but maybe not. Maybe uh, you've been on this since elementary, <laughs> uh, and just ahead well, of the game. You would think so that it was like maybe in our marriage vows, but no, (laughs) I will tell you that the song we walked into to get married was the love theme from Aragorn and Arwen though. That's awesome. Even in Las Vegas in a small chapel, I picked that song as my walking in music. So, uh, no, but it's, it's been in my life since I was a kid. I remember my brother watching the Bachi, you know, the Hobbit. So way back then. So technically it was before you, Joseph, but, <laughs> but I would say full throttle pulling down charts and graphs. Yes. Since we've been <laughs> together 20 years ago. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, do you have a favorite of the three and how does uh, the return of the King oh, man. land for you as the, as the concluding film? I particularly like all of the endings. Um, we've been doing all this week, uh, we call it cramming, but we know lots of stuff already, but cramming for all of this extra deep dives. So there's a few um, YouTubers who do deep dives. They give you a map and they fill in so much story that we don't see in the films. But for me, I'd have to say Return of King is probably my favorite. One of my things, because I'm a singer, um, the thing that gets me every single time of course, also because I'm a woman, <laughs> the line of I am no man every time cheering off the couch. But the song that follows happens to be Liv Tyler. And they were trying to find a place to put it in the movie. And they decided to put it in the scene where A1 is healing. And Aragorn comes in to, to administer the elvish medicines that he had. And they show his cool, you know, his ring, his ring of bear here. So every time I hear that, like, I'm a performer. I'm like, one day I'm going to do that as a, yeah, as a theatrical cover on stage. But that just, it's kind of a tying for the women. It's for the ladies, right? You get Liv Tyler singing that in the background while you're the scene of her, you know, reveal that she just took out the king. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, sorry. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I love I it. Got more. All right, Joe. Uh, unle- un- unleash hell. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. I was so last night we over the last two nights we watched Return of the King. Uh, unfortunately, we watched the extended edition because I couldn't get my theatrical edition working. The disc wasn't working, but we were watching it with our friend Darren, who is an Oxford film professor who actually met one of Tolkien's children and is incredible, uh, just an incredible Tolkien scholar, and his little daughter Alice. So he read the entire trilogy to Alice before showing her the films. And watching her absolutely freak out and then pausing it and her telling us how she freaked out when Gimli and Legolas and Aragorn jump off the ships. Just seeing a kid watch it, it's so magical. It's just just such a a level of enjoyment. But we were having a discussion because her favorite one is Fellowship. And I feel like she's like the, uh, that's amazing. She's the Pinot Noir drinker. And I'm grape juice guy. I love Return of the King. Uh, <laughs> there are just so many moments. I actually listed why all the moments and, and, you know, arguably I would say Fellowship is the stronger film. But between Pippin's song, the Grey Rain Curtain monologue, the attack of the Rohirrim for Frodo, 
the fellowship's reaction to Barad-dur, uh, to, to the uh, Dorthanian, the, the Mount Doom exploding and realizing, oh my God, they're dead. You bow to no one and farewell my brave hobbits. All of those moments are in this film. And they're just some of my favorite cinematic moments ever. Uh, so I just can't help but... Every time I watch this film, I'm always looking forward to the next one of those, uh, the next one of those moments. So that's that's why Return of the King, and then Fellowship and Poor Two Towers always gets uh, gets uh, short shrift. It's funny. I feel like the opposite. I feel like most people I talk to say the Two Towers is their favorite because it's got all the action, has really? none of none of the the hiccups of getting going or having to wrap things up. Right? It's the it's the Empire Strike Back theory of man. It's all popcorn and no sitting around waiting. Like it's just great. <laughs> it's dessert for for breakfast. <laughs> you know. Wow. Uh, and so it's nice. It's refreshing to hear. You know, two people say Return of the King. I'm like Todd. For me, the Fellowship, both the book and the movie are my favorite of the of the three. I but mostly I think for sure the, the all the establishing stuff is you know good. But I like seeing everyone together. I always like you know these moments when all the the team is you know together and more or less happy. But uh, that that's really happy, and it also makes me uh, enjoy. I think the the end of Return of the King so much more is seeing them all come back together is a really great like oh finally like. We're almost all here. <laughs> uh, poor, poor little for Boromir, but everyone else made it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, I, I am curious. Uh, this, I, I might commit heresy here, uh, but I'm curious uh, who's going to, you know, take my head off and, and launch it over the, the, the ramparts or who like has my back. And that's to say for the theatric, I think. In my opinion, Todd, you made a comment about the end of this film. Would you, for the theatric version, err on the side of cutting the ending down or and saving that for the the extended version? Or do you think, yeah, on the one hand, you know, you're you're not a fan of it, but it it should be there regardless. I mean, it's so that's a. That's an interesting question because, like, what am I gonna? Who, who am I? Right? <laughs> Just say, yeah, like this amazing, timeless story. Yeah, but if they would have taken off twenty minutes, you know, <laughs> rah, rah. Well, like my dad, like whining about like pop music or something. Um, uh, yeah, there, there are. I mean, when, yeah, I, I would if if you were really asking me, I would cut off. I would cut off a lot of the end of this because it mm. feels like it ends. It feels like it ends during the the cheesy slow motion scene. Right. And, uh, you know, but I know that I know the story. I know he has to, you know, go off, but maybe we shorten everything. Cause then, you know, he ends up going back to the shire. Like there's a lot of stuff that happens and I feel like how long do they take? They take another 20 minutes or so. About fit. It depends on. So in, in my estimation, if, if I were to end it, I would end it, uh, end it early. I would end it at the, uh, the ceremony. And this is very Star Wars esque, I granted, but I would end it at the ceremony, uh, in Gondor. Yeah. yeah agreed. Right. With the king. Mm -hmm. And in that way. Yeah. And from there, you, you shave about 14 minutes off. And how cool would it be at the end of credits to then have him back in the Shire? You know what I mean? Like that would That's be really cool because the, the movie is over. Like it's, it's done. You can stay to see a little bit more, but I, I love that, that suggestion to end it there. Yeah. Kind of Star Wars. -y. 
Yeah, my my feeling is, and I felt this in the theater, and I still remember watching it, you know, in the theater a couple times. And you you can feel the restlessness of the audience. Um, that's what gives me pause. It's not the idea that this part of the story is bad. Obviously not. Like I want to know all. I want to know all this <laughs> that's happening that that he shows us. Um, but as far as a theatric experience, I would probably err on the side of uh, one nice big lifting moment where everyone is kneeling to them. Right. And it emphasizes how important. And I think kind of is the, the capstone of a lot of the messaging that, that is throughout the films. And it's just a really, really strong uplifting moment. Everyone walks out feeling good. That extra 15 minutes, I think beats up a lot of audience, not everyone. Like I was still good. I was good in the theater to sit and, and see the rest of the story. I also had to really go to the bathroom. I remember that. Like uh, anytime you get over two, two and a half hours, you start running into nature calling stuff. Um, and so you do it with trepidation. And so I, I think that's a really great, like, like final punch to send everyone out. And then for the extended versions, you do get an hour instead of an extra hour, you get like an extra hour 20 and there's to our hearts content. It's a better home viewing experience. I don't know. This is, this is again, heresy in my, in my views. So feel free for the two uh, Kiwis to weigh in. (laughs) 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 Well, I I was going to say, Heather and I have talked a lot about the, endings um Mm. so they have they had kind of an impossible task because you have to make a satisfying theatrical experience for people who aren't familiar with the books and might just have wanted to go see a good film and then they're not going to think about it uh who are those people (laughs) uh but um not us and then you have the the fans like the rabid fans like myself who are the ones who are going to talk about it and they're going to be loud and they're the ones who are going to spread the word and you want to make them Mm. happy as well because if you look at the lore, like I'm like you, I, I was just happy to sit there and watch all the other endings that they cut out. Uh, the Scourging of the Shire, Aragorn taking the Hobbit name of Telkantar as his house name, uh, Faramir saying uh, this li- ends the line of the stewards, and Aragorn saying, no, I want to keep you, we'll keep the line of the stewards, your, your line has served us well, you're a prince now, and you're going to control Rohan him traveling to Isengard and giving Fangorn and Isengard as the realm of the Ents, uh, finding the, the sapling of Nimloth and using that to replant the white tree. I would have been there for all of it. And I would have been me and two other nerds would have been the only ones left in the theater <laughs> and everybody else would have left. 10 hours uh, so later. It's, yeah, exactly. So I think it would have been, that wouldn't have been a good theatrical experience. And if you talk to filmmaker Joe, it's like, we absolutely can't do that. <laughs> But if you talk to nerd Joe, can we have like three? <laughs> pick my favorite three and we'll put those in. <laughs> so it's it's kind of weird because it was a compromise where nobody's super happy, but everybody's kind of like, yeah, 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 it's all right. Yeah. So I think it speaks to the, them as, as adapters. They, uh, I think they made probably a good choice. Heather, are you on that same side of, I want the extra 45 minutes of endings? Yes. I mean, I was thinking the way Todd just said that, like if you put it in the credits, it would feel like the Marvels, right? You stick Mm -hmm. around for the extra, how many, one or two more Easter eggs do we get to, you know, (laughs) to fill it in or say, that is a great idea. That is a really good idea. It's actually a really good idea. Um, Yeah. I just, for me, like we have been doing so much deep diving over the whole, the whole lore, the whole universe this week. Like, 
There is so much they could put in. And yes, we would be the ones sitting there 10 hours later. <laughs> but yeah, that's that definitely is very astute of them to figure out, like, how do you just narrow it down to the few hmm. for the extended, right? Um, but yeah, I, we would have sat there forever <laughs> if you'd let us, if you'd given it to us. But yeah, that would be a really hard decision to make, right? Like, how how would you choose and narrow it down to those few that you did have? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oof. That's awesome. <laughs> Tough choice. <laughs> I, I Honestly, I think I would have been happy with either of the endings you, you proposed as well. Uh, I think those are great points to jump off and then totally. leave the audience yeah. wanting more. Yeah. Oh, my God. Which is awesome to be to be wanting more after, you know, a three, yeah. three plus hour <laughs> trilogy. That, that's, yeah. Exactly. I think that's kind of where I was landing was that I I knew everyone that left that theater the the times that I was in there. No one was like, give me another minute. Everyone was like, roll the credits. They were just aching for for the credits uh, by the end of it. And by contrast, like a little earlier ending does have that feeling. And Todd, that's just a genius idea. Like, yeah, post credits kind of solves all that in one go. You get the Did satisfaction. That, that, that genius yeah. Is yeah. comment. That will be the show intro from here on out. It'll just be that. That was a genius for idea. 40 seconds. <laughs> just on loop. On a loop. Like, so I do want to touch on a few things uh, and it'll, it'll bring us circle us back. Uh, to some core ideas. One of uh, the things I, so I watched it twice. I watched it last night and I had no intention of writing a single note. I just wanted to sit and enjoy the movie. Right. And of course, whenever you, you do that, right. You just like immediately start having all the thoughts and it was just all these beautiful, small moments of hope, especially at the early in the film, we jump off, right? Uh, Sam DeFrodo, he's asking, you know, about the food and Sam's like, well, if we ration it, we'll have enough. And Frodo's a little confused enough for what? The journey home. And the, it's Frodo's small little reaction to Sam's audacious hope. And it's just, you just live on his face and he gives you nothing, but you see it all at the same time. Like that's a good to me, like Kuleshov editing and just the implication is there. He doesn't have to do a thing acting wise, just watch him, you know, and we feel it. We feel the, the, the contrast of what these two people are experiencing on this journey. And it's just so simple and small and it's beautiful. Same thing with Aragorn. Uh, not long after that, they're, they're discussing Frodo and Gandalf. And it's interesting watching Gandalf get down in the mouth throughout this film. Like, uh, at the beginning and at the end, he's like, it's only a matter of time. Like the guys, the game, we're, we're not winning this game. Um, you, you can, he's like an inch away from saying we've lost, but he doesn't quite go there to me. And, but Aragorn is hearing this uh, at the beginning of the film and he asked Gandalf, yeah, okay. What does your heart tell you? And we just sit and watch Gandalf for a moment. He's like, Frodo is alive. And it's just, it's, it's brimming with possibility. And it's just another. (laughs) That's one of those moments you'd, you'd see that in an acting class, someone taking the time and being in the moment like that. And you'd just be like, Oh, incredible. <laughs> it's maybe yeah, an acting class just, if you're in it. <laughs> That's Joe. right, Joe. <laughs> Not if I'm in it. I'd be like, yeah, he's alive. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> We're good. Um, and he just, just picks his nose. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it. I love just these little tiny moments. And and I think it's important because we need these little rays of hope for a lot of reasons. On the one hand, you might see it as a reprieve, 
but I don't think it's that. I think it almost uh, doubles down, reinforcing the danger that they're in. Like without, uh, you know, the imminent danger, there's no need for hope. And so by having these little moments of hope, it reinforces like this is all grave and everything's gloom and doom. And and it's just a perfect contrast. The last thing I think you want in a film, right, is just uh, valley, 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 valley. Like give us a break in the clouds. Let us have a peek. And then we can go back down and face the monster, right? Um, a breath is all it really needs. Also really love uh, towards the end, especially after Pippin just, you know, is a train wreck of a human being or of a, 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 a hobbit being um, uh, is that even even after that right gandalf takes him with him like gandalf never leaves him behind he's always grabbing him and taking him with him because he doesn't know and it's this like humility to gandalf that says yeah, he's a pain in the ass and he keeps screwing everything up literally from the beginning of the journey through the end. Like he's just jamming me, man. <laughs> but, but I don't know. <laughs> he needs to be there because I don't know what, what he's capable of. Even if I know what he's capable of, <laughs> you know, it's the, and I love that he's, he's always grabbing him. Even whenever Gandalf rides out to, to aid Faramir, right? Whenever they're retreating from, uh, the little stronghold down there. Um, and he blasts the light from the staff, right? And the angelic singing is happening. It's another one of these little beautiful moments of hope. And, uh, it's one, it, it might be my second favorite moment of the series. Uh, and it's just quiet and it's, you know, all the dragons and, or whatever you want to call them, the fell beasts, you know, with Nazgul on their back. And you're just feeling like the terror. These guys are sh- shredding, uh, Faramir's team and, uh, Gandalf rides out, right? Just by his lonesome and with a little hobbit and, uh, just this light and, all the, the, the audio is just so perfect right here. Uh, they just kill everything except for this angelic, you know, singing. Um, and it's simple and it's beautiful. And the cinematography is amazing right there, right? We, we veer off after they've, you know, you know, flown away. We, we veer off to join the team and it's just this beautiful, slight move with, of the camera and we feel the energy, but at the same time, it's not rocking us too hard. It, there's a calmness to all this energy and God, it's just a, Gorgeous. And there's, there's like uh, 30 essential frames at the end of that shot with that is just so beautifully match-moved, and it can't have been easy, of uh, Minas Tirith in the background there, perfectly matching the camera shake and the camera motion. You know, it was a handheld shot. Uh, and last night, we actually had to pause, and ex- uh, Darren explained to Alice that they didn't actually build Minas Tirith. That was all done in a computer, and, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> uh, she was just amazed. I love that it was that convincing. Uh, it it was because it it's in the frame, but they don't make a point to now. Let's look at Minas Tirith. They it's just part of the landscape, and it's not yep. featured. It's just there. the The feature is all the emotion of the ride uh, with Gandalf and Faramir and. Just to have it kind of edging in, you know, on the the right third, maybe gets up to two thirds, but it's just there. God, freaking genius, man! Um, so well done. The subtlety in cinematography uh, is is too often overlooked, I think. But also appreciate, uh, you know, alongside these beautiful small moments of hope, I appreciate that there's so many dramatic moments that lack drama, and it heightens the drama all the more. Um, like. Theoden, like his death monologue is so quiet and it's just him 
saying his final words and it's so subdued uh i i love it um and i love that lack of dramatic delivery because it you know it pulls us in to hear what he's saying and it, i think just a much stronger emotional connection by not like ramming it on our throat Ugh, ah, blood i'm dying and my last wish is for you to rule all men or whatever he, he's gonna say you know it's just like make us make us lean forward don't make us lean back um and that's just a really good use of that kind of strategy and same thing uh you know i don't know maybe all of you uh joe i think you might have been saying like the for frodo uh moment another great little lack of drama in this incredibly dramatic moment he just looks back at everyone after giving this incredible speech, right? They, they do a good job of saving a really big speech for the really big end. And he delivers that big speech and then they quiet everything. And then he just looks back and he just says two words for Frodo. And he just launches. Because <laughs> that, that subverted my expectation. I was expecting. Ah. Yeah. And I swear, I, I swear the Russos use that for reference in Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. when it's like Avengers. <laughs> assemble. Assemble. He whispers assemble. <laughs> oh, such a good call. And, and it's so good. Like the that whole charge is amazing, right? It's just long tracking shot with a little bit of shake tons of people charging you can tell they must have done that all day trying to time out how they're going to feather everyone so that you can layer it in this interesting seemingly casual way right some it's it's like grunge in the 90s trying to look grunge was the uh, the, the hardest work in the world to look so casual <laughs> <laughs> my friend uh johan at work was a comper for the uh pelinor fields and he was saying one of the things he was doing uh, was uh, replacing horsetails uh, because and 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 I love the idea of those horsetails are not selling the speed and the and the drama that we want something that subtle to take the time to shoot you know uh, I, I don't know if they had CG horsetails I, I would imagine they had practically shot some with like a wind with like a, a fan or something and then comped them in so that the feeling and and it's one of those things that once it's right then you don't notice it. Yeah, but if it's wrong, it would detract from the feeling. So uh, that level of care is just so labor intensive, and I'm, I'm I so appreciate it as an audience. God, um, so that that brings me to one of the two big things that I want to touch on. The first is the bigger of the two. The the second isn't. You just have to talk about it. But the first is the ex machina, um, and it's this question of, for one. Is the, yeah, is is there one? It's it's a debatable thing. But the the big question being, does the army of the dead feel like a Deus Ex Machina? And so, just to flesh out the idea, historically, a Deus Ex Machina comes from like Greek uh, plays, right, where you would literally have whatever a character drowning at sea, and then suddenly God swoops in and saves them. Instead of having them figure out a way to solve their own problem, you have this kind of magical or unearned or unexpected deliverance. Um, and so that, that's been passed down as just kind of a catch-all phrase at this point of you, you have characters in an impossible situation and you just kind of bail them out in a way that doesn't feel honest to the story you're telling. And, and the, the word honest there is, can be inserted or not. That depends on the, the story and, and who's giving you the definition, I suppose. And so they literally at the end of this film, right in at the last moment with an army of 
unbeatable ghosts. <laughs> and so there's this pretty strong argument to call it a deus ex machina, right? Uh, if you can't kill an opponent, uh, that's very godlike. It's, it's, you know, indestructible. And so before I get into my, I don't know, theory or reasoning of my yay or nay, does that feel, do you, do you feel cheated at all with the army of the dead? Uh, Todd, let's go around the horn. I want to start Todd, Heather, and then Joseph R. House. I don't know what your middle name is, but it's in my mind. It's R. So Joseph R. House. Uh, Todd, what do you think, man? I just want to make sure I understand the question. So, so the, the, do I feel cheated? What that they, that, that wasn't thrown at them at the, be, at the very beginning kind of thing, or do, do you feel cheated that, their big victory in Gondor comes oh. on the back of a ghost army. Oh, I does see. Does that feel like a, a, yeah, does that feel like a little bit of an easy out for a writer to say, you know what? I don't know how to get them this victory. Let's, let's have unkillable ghosts do all the dirty work. <laughs> <laughs> um, not particularly. I mean, that it's a great argument. I think it is a great argument, but I think that, you know, it does a couple of things. One, it, it, not that we need establishing of this, we are already in this world, but it does establish kind of like an otherworldliness that exists on either side. Could be good, could be bad, could be for one thing, could be for another thing, whether it's good or bad, doesn't matter. And there are more things at work here than what either side really understands or knows right and so in that case that's kind of what i felt i felt like it just makes the world even bigger rather than just saves them right because the other thing is that this whole group is factioned right they're all fract it's all fractured and like you know frodo's here like they're they're all over the place and so winning or losing one battle in a certain way doesn't really say like if they were all together and that happened, totally, I would have felt like that. Because then if that ends, if they lose, the whole thing is over, right? But in that situation, it, yeah. So anyway, I, I don't really feel like it in this regard, uh, but I think it's an excellent argument and an excellent question. And I want to know what Joe thinks. Yeah, and, and Heather. I, yeah, same. I, I just think it's a really, it's a fun question, even if we all come to the same conclusion. <laughs> Yeah. Heather, yeah. Um, well, since we've been reviewing it so much this week, yeah, I I don't think it does either. I think I'd have to agree with Todd on that. Um, I know there was a great moment we were watching last night that we even paused on was um, there's a moment when he's asked them and they disappear, but they come out and mm. he sees the ships coming in, right? There's He has no lines, but this look of absolute agony across Aragorn's face. We paused it and we talked about it because it's so well delivered. When you see his face and you're just like, he feels like it's over. You know what I mean? Um, but then you looking see- Looking at the ships. Yeah, looking at the ships, he's just, he's literally defeated and he has a moment of kind of slumping down, right? And we, we paused it there because it's so well done. Had he said one word, it would have ruined it. But it's the fact that he didn't say anything, right? Less is more. But yeah, I like I just love that moment because when, you know, the ghost king comes out and tells them, you know, we fight. That moment is a little cheesy for some people, but it's it's kind of awesome. We were making a joke like, what were they discussing? Going, yeah, we've had a talk, and I guess we fight. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what happened? 
when they left the cave, right? Um, but no, I, I don't think it does because that's I agree with Todd. Like they are all fractured. It's it's a big fell swoop of a win because Aragorn is is working so hard. But that beautiful moment, like he just he has tears welling in his eyes because he thinks he's lost and he mm-hmm. did not win them over to fight for him. You know what I mean? And he he looks at this it's the Salazar ships. Yeah. Um oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I'd have to agree. But no, it's not. What do you think, Joe? <laughs> Am I just being obtuse? <laughs> no, it uh, I, I that is such a great argument. Uh and for me it comes down to how did I feel in the moment when they when they came off the ship. And I think the seed for it is planted early enough that even though if you look at it on the page, it's like, I don't know if we earned this. In the moment, it felt earned because it starts in the tent when Elrond visits uh, the camp. And, uh, you know, Aragorn gets called in and Theoden's leaving and Theoden looks bummed out and angry. And it's like, who is this? Who are you talking to? And it's because Elrond had just told him Aragorn can't go with you. Aragorn has to go another way. And so Theoden's like, you're taking Aragorn from me now? And so the seed is planted there that Aragorn has to, and and they go through what they go through in the paths of the dead. And then at Pelennor itself, we go through Gondor doing its best and failing and suffering loss. And then the Rohirrim come in and we suffer loss and we lose the king. And there's so much loss and you're so down so that when those ghosts jump off the ship, at that point, emotionally, I don't care if it is Deus Ex Machina. I'm out of my seat and crying and going, yeah, and just, and the best part of that moment is not, it's not the army of the dead. It's the reverse of the orcs reactions to what are you talking about? Those, those two yeah. actors in prosthetics. I have to thank them for that reaction because it's just, it gives me so much energy. But the other Deus Ex Machina that Tolkien uses in the Silmarillion and the Hobbit and here is the Eagles yeah. always seem to just come, come out of nowhere. And the question is, I mean, yes, Deus Ex Machina, but if you ask Heather, how do you feel about the Eagles? I adore them. They're one of my most favorite parts. <laughs> Every time they show up, I'm like screaming, like the Eagles are coming. I hate like, the Eagles, man. I guess if it feels cheap and it mm. feels like a cheat, then you're like, eh. but if, if you're in the moment and your emotions are, are, are grabbed, then I, I think I, 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 I think I agree that it is Deus Ex Machina, but because I have, the feelings of it being earned and the feeling of loss to earn it. Uh, I think I'm okay. Those are great arguments. And you, you, you made me realize too, that uh, one thing I hadn't considered was they do set it up. And so it does kind of create a bit of a, what Todd and I call a a loaded gun situation, right? Chekhov's gun, the idea that you introduce a weapon, we need to see that weapon go off and the ghosts are a weapon. Um, And so, you do make the audience want to see what they can do. And so in that way, uh, it does add even onto everything. Um, but the other things that I would say, um, in addition that 
uh, is yes, it, it feels earned. Um, that's literally what I wrote. It does feel earned. Um, and confronting the ghost army, you know, uh, fulfilling Aragorn's prophecy or curse, whatever you want to uh, call that confirms his rightful place as king. And so it's also uh, a method to allow us to see that he is the, the king. Um, it's not just a title. It's something that to Todd's point, like it expands the universe. Um, and now there's this kind of mystical deistic uh power at play that has chosen him and he is the rightful heir uh to the crown but maybe mostly because uh the ultimate victory or defeat is actually in frodo's hands if this had been the final battle i think it really does feel cheap uh, but because it isn't and the real battle is in mount doom you don't really run too far ground of cheapening the experience to the audience uh, because without frodo any victory in battle is moot anyway he's he's the ultimate decider of whether or not they win or fail and and for that reason uh it it kind of allows us to be okay with it, I think, in just a multitude of ways, on, in every storytelling way, and of course, the emotional way. Uh, and both of those things, I think, matter, matter uh, almost equally. I don't know which I would put above the other, but um, yeah, probably the emotional side. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So the, the next big moment uh, I, I definitely want to uh, look at is the one Heather brought up, uh, and it's uh, the I Am No Man, right? This is such a massive moment and yeah but i what i love i think more than almost anything is that this is probably the greatest moment in the entire series and yet it goes to a supporting character she's not eowyn is not a main character in the in the sense of she's not one of the eight um you know she's not in the fellowship one of the nine i should say um uh peace for me <laughs> but she's <laughs> but she's not like the main character she's not even introduced until what the second film and even that she's just kind of sprinkled in and for her to have such you know an incredible moment is so cool and to me it feels like an honest telling of a story it gives uh her story for one a great and unexpected arc and therein also reinforces the greater theme of the films and and the story at large uh that there are no small parts to play everyone uh is important if you show up if you decide and i love that right yeah and so i don't know if this ranks in y'all's you know estimation as like the greatest moment but i assume to to a person here that this it works for every single person right the 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 delivery the the destruction the weird cosmic destruction of uh the witch king all of it right the the beheading of the dragon like it's just all uh absolute perfection of, of storytelling and film yeah if you've like following her arc I, I think it's quite beautiful to see how fragile they start off making her in a way. The way they introduce her, she's kind of fragile and she's sort of broken and she's worried about her uncle and she's worried about, you know, her brother and everyone else, you know, losing her cousin, right? Thayden losing his son. When you see, I love the arc of how, you know, she talks about the lines given to her about having an, a nightmare or a dream about the big wave. And she's standing on the brink of it and she can do nothing about it. You go all the way from that to her feeling empowered to hide within the ranks, hiding herself as one of the men. And then getting to that moment like that is, 
that's girl power at its most best, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> but it's it's quite beautiful, and I yeah. <laughs> we were talking last night. It would have been great to have a moment between Aowen and Aomer because Aomer has that whole thing of he would flee and he'd be right to because war is the province of men. I would have loved Eowyn to go. So how many uh, how many Nazgul did you pick? Yeah, bro. What say you, bro? Yeah. I loved that moment. I thought that I thought it was such a great. Just as as Heather put it, I thought it was such a great arc for for her because when we we meet her, it's you know yeah she does have this kind of like meekness to her and she's looks like she's in love, but we're thinking, wait a minute, you know, like this, this doesn't feel right. And, and so where, where does her character go? Right. And for her character to become something more than just a woman in love when her, yeah. where her I go- love that line, the line she says, when she says, what do, when Aragorn asks her, what do you fear my lady? When she says a cage, that line gets me every time, Yeah, which is a subtle moment, but that has nothing to do with a man. And I, I love that. Right. And then in- romance is great. Love is great because we can always depict that in a wonderful way. But when she says, I fear a cage, that should resonate with every woman out there. Like to me. <laughs> it does yeah. To me. And so then, and so then when she, <laughs> when, when she delivers the line, I am no man. And, and we, we see her prophecy essentially fulfilled. It's like this. Yeah. Oh yeah. That absolutely makes sense. And whether we know it or not, whether we remember that, that, you know, I fear a cage, the most line we feel, we feel that this is right for her, you know, for her to write off like that. It is right for her character. And so that's what that man, this whole, her story also is what makes this such a, such brilliant piece of writing this whole, I mean, the trilogy, of course, but this one in particular, because Obviously, they started off with this character knowing where she was going to go, but didn't reveal it to us. Yeah. Right. And so we are given little bits throughout. So if you if you're writing a character, write the end, like write the results of the character first and then lead the character into it, lead the viewer with the character into it. It's such a brilliant thing. So we're expect, you know, we're set up like, okay, she's in love. Uh, Yeah. The typical thing they meet in a bar uh, or wherever at a party and. (laughs) And, but then, but then that has nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with her story. And it's, it's, it's set up so perfectly because we're not told that we're told something else or we're led to believe something else at the beginning. So powerful. So good. I love that. I love, uh, also, you know, switching gears, um, into Frodo's story. Um, this, it's such a challenge, uh, because the, the, the contrast between Frodo and Sam and Gollum and the rest of the party, uh, is so stark and it's, it's rightly so. I mean, they have to be quiet. They're sneaking. Uh, they have a, a different, you know, journey, which heightens the, the action on the other side, right? If it was just action, 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 it may start to lose its punch and you might start to get gassed a little bit uh, because their story is one much more of trust and they're, they're dealing with, with all of that. And so what I, what I love about that though, is the whole Gollum, Frodo and Sam setup feels like started in the two towers, not by introducing Gollum, but by introducing Warmtongue and what Warmtongue was doing to Theoden. 
and poisoning his mind. And uh, it became this whole point of contention that needed to be resolved. And now we see we move forward one one film and we're seeing the same exact thing start to take place between Gollum and Frodo. He's whispering these lies into his ears and it's only until it's too late that Frodo realizes his error. And and I love that because it also requires Sam to rise above it. And I think that's I mean, the, the great thing about this kind of story and, and epics uh, is how many different things you can pull away from it. And this is going to be a Joe question here in like 10 minutes. Um, but uh, <laughs> you, you can you can tease out so many different lessons and so many different because it's so big, you know, over the course of. 75 hours of a movie uh, that this is going to take you through, you know, betrayals and camaraderie and uh, war and peace and lies and, and courage and bravery and heroic acts. Like there's so many things that go into this kind of story that you can, you can tease out as, as a bigger lesson. Um, but it, it feels really nice to be able to see Sam have to be the one to who is wronged to have to then go and make peace. And that's, you don't see that enough in life, let alone in storytelling. Yeah. Darren, Darren made a great point last night. There's a, uh, there's a scene, right? It's at the top of Kirith Ungol where Sam is handing the ring back to Frodo. And it's, it's well played between Sean Aston and Elijah Wood. But in, in the book, Frodo actually freaks out at Sam and accuses him. And so there's this moment of Sam, he's done all this heroic stuff. He climbed all the way back up the stairs, friggin' defeated Shelob, defeated orcs, got all the way up to him. And his thanks for that was to get yelled at. And throughout the story, Sam does what he does. And he's, he's not only not seeking attention or, or reward for it, but when he's punished for it, that doesn't deter him. He still continues on. This is this is my place. Is to support, which is which is really just so heroic. I just it's fantastic. Um, and I also really love Elijah Wood's performance in Mount Doom. This goes back to lacking dramatic delivery, right? He's there. Um, and he's standing and he's, you, we can see it from behind at first as Sam walks in, he's trying to assess the situation and uh, he's calling for Frodo and he just turns around and says, I'm here, Sam. I love that subdued. We don't need anything. We don't need ketchup right now, man. Just, just deliver, you know, a nice medium rare, <laughs> everything else. All the ingredients are there. They're set. Just be. And all he has to do is just turn around and look at us and say the lines. And we know. We know because we, he's been carrying this weight since, you know, the opening hour uh, of Fellowship. And we've seen what it's done to Bilbo. We've seen what it's done to Boromir. We've seen what it's done, almost did to Faramir and what it's done to Gollum. We've seen it for the last, you know, nine hours. And we it's it's all there. He, all he has to do is say the lines. And um, as much as I, you know, love, hate David Mamet, I think he's right. You know, a lot of the time, if, if you've set the stage properly, an actor really only has to say the words. Um, and this is certainly one of those cases. And I love Elijah Wood for not selling it, for just be there, just be there. One of our uh, great Austin acting coaches, Paul Russell, uh, used to talk about always be willing to be at zero. <laughs> you've been cast in this role for a reason. You've done all the work. You've memorized the lines. You know the story. You know your intent. You know your active verb objective. 
be willing to just say the lines and trust that all that work comes through and also give the audience the opportunity to do their side of the work, which is there can be so much story happening inside the minds of the audience. And if you, yeah, if you push it, you kind of stir the pot too hard and it doesn't feel honest. So that, uh, yeah, Elijah Wood finding that, that truth by just saying the lines. It takes a lot when there's all these cameras and lights and stuff pointed at you and you feel like this should be hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. There's explosions and yeah, lights flickering on and off. And yeah, I, I need yeah. to, I need to rise it to the occasion. Me, no, lower. Yeah, exactly. Lower. There was this great moment where the, this, one of the best directors I've ever worked with uh, named Wes uh, was, was directing me when there was, there was that shot where I, uh, I just needed to look down barrel of the camera and I was performing and you were like, give me less, give me less. And I think you were just trying to get me to the point where it's like, don't do anything because all the work is going to happen in the audience's head. And when I, when I finally got it, all of you were at the video village going, oh, <laughs> that's when I knew. And it's like, wow, sometimes it really is just be at zero is Paula's words saying, be willing to be at zero. I love it. I love uh, what, what a good quote. And, you know, uh, Frodo was not in a close up in this performance, but for you, that scene we're talking about, like we were just right there, you know, cropped in just above your eyes, um, just below your chin and everything reads at that point, you know, a small tilt of the head, uh, feels like you, you, you moved a mountain. Like it's just so big. Yeah. And you, you, you do a lot, man. It, you're, I, if you, if you were still here in town, I'd be writing movies around you, sir. So, but you know, no pressure. Hey. He, he, he already no, okay, has, we're back. he already no has, pressure. but you're not we here. So back. we got to make it anyway. That's, That's true. Uh, you might have a hard time carving him out of middle earth though. Just be prepared for that battle. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to stage a whole we'll scene at the, uh, on the docks and we're going to have like a little pontoon <laughs> boat that we load you on and we hug everyone by <laughs> You just put a cloak off. over Joe's head. Yeah, it's going to take a good hour and a half. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, people are going to be ready for it to be over when it's over. Uh, and I'll have Todd and uh, Kiona on, on the side humming, mm-hmm. playing some songs. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is great. It's going to be us laughing at each other for an hour. Basically, we're just yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, what? Speaking of music, though, uh, I did want to touch on before I go into some questions, and then a uh, an extra extravaganza of trivia um sound and music like the sound design is amazing and i one of the times that really sprang out to me was the sound design of the uh theoden right you know the rohirrim right in and they're just mowing everyone down and and there's this kind of look of cockiness that crosses theoden's face um right before he hears the olifants uh start to, to storm the field and he turns and of course it's one of those great simple transitions of uh victory to defeat is on his face right and I also love the use of the sword in that scene. The sword moves from uh, screen uh, right to left, and it's almost like going backwards.
backwards and that kind of denotes that we're crossing something and it's like a subtle way of breaking the 180 rule without actually breaking the 180 rule they do that another time uh, at the beginning of the movie when Smeagol you know decides that he's going to take this ring and instead of like actually rotating the camera they have Smeagol cross stage from uh, stage right to stage left and now we've broken the 180 rule without ever actually moving the camera and so we see the same thing kind of happen um, with with the sword I think you know it's just this simple like there's a shift in the story happening right now and instead of using the camera we're going to allow the uh, a prop to do it for us it's a sword and we're in a battle so blah 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 obvious stuff but I love the sound design here because once they hit we kill the music and we go straight into chaotic right it's just the the rampage of uh the olifants and spears being jabbed into people's throats and everything else right just strip the music and let us experience the the rage the chaos of of all this happening before we go back to cue the music again i, I love that i love that the sound of the olifants is pre-lapped uh so there's you see theoden and you hear something it's like what 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 what, what is he seeing it's such a great little anticipation Oh, it's perfect. Um, I and agree. Then yeah. yeah, sorry, if you want to add on, by all means. Oh, I was going to say, like, yeah, I, I always notice that moment, too, because the sound does, or the music does go out. But what you hear is that first hit of both things collide. It's it's pretty poignant because it does catch you surprised, no matter how many times we've seen it. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> It lands. Yeah. Uh, pre-lapping off screen audio is a really great way to signal a, a transition that allows you to re- register it on an actor's face. And that way you get more than one moment. You get like two, maybe three moments because that first moment is audio. The next moment is a reaction on someone's face. And then the third you know, moment is seeing what the actor is now seeing, what the character is witnessing. Um, and in that way, you know, rule of threes, you get bang, bang, bang. And that third bang is much louder, you know, uh, air quotes here, much more emotional with punch uh, because you built it up two other times before you land this final blow. Uh, it's just a great way to cue something to feel bigger than it actually is. Because if you just start there, you may not have the desired effect of the grandiosity that you're searching for. But music, I love the way that they just, there's so much score throughout this. You have to find ways and places to drop it out or else it it's like water running over you. At a certain point, you don't really feel the water anymore. Um, and in order to feel the music, you need to let it go away so that you can feel it again. And they find great places to drop it down so that they can raise it back up. Uh, I think the most obvious moment to me, other than something like that, was at the very end when Frodo is saying goodbye to everyone. He's saying goodbye to uh, Mary and Pip. And as he's hugging uh, Mary... They drop it out about halfway through his hug. They just bottom it out. And then he turns around and he sees Sam. And now we can kick it back up again and we can well, right? We can just uh, swell it up and you can feel the overwhelming emotion that they're feeling. Uh, But you need that silence, right? I don't know. Todd, did you feel any other big, interesting uses of uh, audio or, or music at any point? Um. I mean, none that I noticed because I was just, uh, I mean, you know, in awe of the visuals were like, I was like in it. Yeah. I mean, I did notice the dropouts and I felt them and that's, that's probably the biggest, that's probably the biggest one for me would be the end when, when he sees Sam, but there are plenty of them and they're all over the place. But the fact that I didn't notice a whole lot says how good it was because that's, that's the, the whole point of sound, sound design music is to 
unless it's unless it is literally thematic and important to the story like the the you know as a as a whole i mean interstellar is a great example then then you're then the less you know notice it the better and this is a great example of that it's like you know i was just enjoying the story Hmm. and you know, the music could have been a different piece of music, just as good. It would have to be just as good, but it could be a different piece of music and it would still be, it. the story would still feel complete and awesome. And uh, I mean, because I didn't notice it, I thought it was fantastic. And we've talked about it on this podcast many times. Sound is the movie. It is the movie. You could shoot a shitty movie that looks awful and has a bad story, but if it sounds fantastic, it's better movie than you would think. Than nor than normal, but you could shoot this movie, and if the sound was bad, it doesn't matter. It's it's going to be a bad movie, and because I didn't notice it, it's just exactly what it needed to be. So, in my opinion, I I, I was thinking about you last night, Todd. Uh, oh, I was thinking I, about I, you I last night too, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, wait, were we talking about something else? Okay, sorry, sorry. Good, that, that's for after the podcast. <laughs> All right, What's, I'm outnumbered here. How does Terrence Malick do this? I'm I'm so washed out now. It's just, uh, so when we were watching last night, uh, so there's the moment where Frodo and Sam, uh, Sam is trying to encourage Frodo to get up because they got to get into Mount Doom already. And he's like, the, the first of the strawberries will be ripening and strawberries with cream. And the score is in a major key at that point. It's, it's really low and it's subtle. And then it switches to Frodo and Frodo's kind of panicked. And he's like, I don't remember the taste of strawberries. I can't see home. I can't remember home anymore. And the score goes minor for a minute. And then it's, it's really, really sad. And then when Sam says, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. And not only are we back volume wise, we go back to that glorious major key, just the, the Frodo's theme loud in that major key for Sam to pick him up which is Sam's theme really at that point and run him up the hill. And it's just like, God, Howard short. Cause I've watched this movie probably 40 times. And that's the first time I've noticed, Oh, just that little dip into a minor key dude, to give us that one, two, three punch. That is such oh. a great, you, Oh my God, <laughs> you blew my mind. Yes. And that, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's the point that I'm making. Thank you for making my point. It's like, you don't notice that you've seen this movie 40 times and you just Until now, you see it 40 times. And you just now <laughs> noticed that. Cause I haven't seen it. I've seen it four times. Uh, and you just now noticed that like, that's brilliant use of, of music, of key, of, of, of feel. Right. And that's literally someone and you can't, I don't think you can always get away with something that on the nose, right? Okay. So Sam's, Sam's sound is going to be major and Frodo's sound is going to be minor because he's broken. He's done. He's, that's it. That's all he's got. He doesn't remember what strawberries taste like, you know, it, like, and we're just going to literally go from major key to minor key to major key. Boom, boom, boom. That you can't always do that. But in a story, this, this, like this, it's so on the nose. It it absolutely works, and it great man, excellent point. I love that. I'm gonna, I want to go back and watch that scene again. By the way, I have it playing right oh, now. Oh, it's it, it's incredible. Yeah. Nice. So Heather, um, question for you, and this is a broad. Uh, there may not be an answer to this, but I'm curious if there's any anything you wish would have been in here that wasn't. 
So like, Ooh, yeah, man. and it could be something that's, that's you know, apocryphal or not. Like I, I would have loved, and it's hard because there's already so much content in the books to sit there and say, let's add something is like insanity. Only a madman would, would say, let's add something that isn't in the books because you're already drowning in content. But I wish at the end, Gimli and Legolas are comparing their final kill counts and then Aragorn pops in and drops his absurdly high <laughs> number and crushes them both. Oh my God. You know what? You know what, Joe? That's the next thing I want you to make. I just want you to make that. Okay. Short yeah. film. Short film. Yes. That would kill. That's great. See, you, could, you could run that over the, the, the credit call, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Just have that running in the credits. um oh that's a big question so let me see okay um uh, aliens well uh, so in the deep dives this week uh the children their children uh oh Oh, yeah Um, aragorn's children who are alluded to but yeah so yeah the deep dives make you wish you had like you know 50 more hours of content because it's like so many more people and so many more characters. But yes, they tell they tell you in this deep dive, one of them, um, that they have a son, and that's the son you see, you know, in in the vision when Aragorn's picking him up, you know. But they also have two daughters. And my question to Joe was, does are they mentioned anywhere else? What do their daughters do? Right? So yeah, that's definitely something you could add. I mean, just a little hint of them or a little scene where you see the kids playing together or something. Right. Um, Yeah. It's the deep dives have just if I hadn't already have charts and graphs in my brain from this one, Mr. House. uh, (laughs) Now I've got more because we did all of these deep dives. I was like, how long do you have for your podcast? Because we could do this for hours. Like (laughs) that that moment of uh, that's that's alluded to in the two towers of when when Aragorn lives to 210 years and then uh, he's given the opportunity to choose the moment of his death rather than fading away. And so he chooses his moment, and uh, it's actually his dialogue is given to Elrond in the Two Towers. Uh, you know, Elrond as a warning to Arwen that this is what you're going to experience. You're going to taste mortality. We were we were watching a Nerd of the Rings about that, and both of us crying on the couch at just the beautiful the the words that Tolkien wrote about that moment. But that that's something that we did actually get. It's not something we have to wish for. They met, they found a great story-driven, motivated way to add that incredible moment. So, Joe, I have two questions for you. The first one, uh, if, if we do know the answer to this question, then uh, high level for me, which is, do we know what happens after the story concludes? Whether that's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we know what happens, what, whatever, with Gondor and uh, the rest of his reign as king. So... Paint a picture for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's high level. Well, and it's interesting. Uh, so uh, Aragorn on day one. Gondor for, <laughs> yeah, here we go. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> Lord <laughs> of the Rings episode four. Here we go. Three and a half hours. No, Ar- Aragorn is uh, is a uh, you know a beloved ruler. He continues fighting. He raises up troops to fight the Haradrim. Uh, because even though Sauron's gone from the world, his influence isn't. So there are still uh, people who believed in Sauron who, uh, who who rise up. But you know he's generally uh, considered a fair king. He I can't remember how long he rules for, but he dies at the age of two hundred and ten, and then uh, 
he, he leaves his, his children. But I think I think the big things relevant to the story is, as I said before, he travels to Isengard to meet with Treebeard, whose elvish name is Fangorn, and declares Fangorn and Isengard as the realm of the Ents and calls for the reconstruction of Orthanc. Uh, so the entire grounds are, are rebuilt with the help of Gondor. Rohan, I mean, obviously Eowyn and Faramir rule Rohan together. He travels to the Shire and declares that uh, the I think it's the mayor of Mickle Delving would be Pippin at that point. So Mary and Pippin are there, and he declares the Shire as to be under the protection of the northern kingdoms, but that men may not enter without permission of of the hobbits. Uh, so he does this kind of tour around all of Middle Earth, basically being a stand-up guy and saying, you can self-govern and we'll help you however we can. But, uh, you know, he does, there's there's this interesting video that George R.R. R. Martin, ever the cynic, says, it's really easy to write that someone was a beloved leader for 100 <laughs> years, but that's not real. There's no leader who's beloved for 100 years. So what was Aragorn's tax policy? How did he, <laughs> how did he raise his armies? And stuff was like he that? a Republican it's, or it's, Democrat? It's kind of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this it's a video. It's a, a channel called In Deep Geek, where he, you know, mines the text for exactly what it was. But the the basic idea is that, and then uh, Gimli and Legolas uh, become the closest friends. They explore these crystal caves together, and uh, I think that wealth is used to rebuild Helm's Deep. And then uh, Gimli and Legolas actually go to the Undying Lands together. So Gimli is the only dwarf who's ever afforded that honor. Wow. I'm trying to think of what I, I think that's all the salient There's stuff. So lot, yeah. If yeah. I keep going, it's just going to be ridiculous. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Things, okay. Things we would have put in. So my 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 last question to you, and which is you of the four of us, I would think you spent the most time thinking about this story and considering all the angles of it, uh, most thoroughly, what have you. Uh, so I, I would ask you to, to venture your own opinion on what's the moral of the Lord of the Rings and like, what's your big takeaway? Great question. Yeah. Such a good question. I think you touched on it earlier is that there's, there are no small roles everyone has the potential to make a difference and anything you can do to contribute to the greater good is, is always a good it's, it, it's, you know, the way uh, Tolkien did not like allegory. So he wrote, he wrote the story so that things like friendship are important and caring for each other and fighting for each other are important. So I think, yeah, I, th I think that's where, what the moral is. There's a really interesting thing about his approach of varied applicability that because he didn't tie specific things in the story to specific things in his in his life, I mean, obviously his life influenced the work. That we get things like so the 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 palantir, uh, the the palantiri, are this interesting analog to social media right now that Tolkien never could have imagined. But the way he wrote it, uh, he didn't put too much of his own uh, opinions in it. So Tom Shippey makes the point that. The Palantir always shows you exactly the truth, but encourages you to draw the wrong conclusion. So, you know, there's there's one point where um, Who's the, Sauron has looked in the Palantir. What's, what's, what's a Palantir? The Palantir. So they're those orbs that uh, you can look into. And they they were invented. They were they were created in Numenor just as, you know, remote, <laughs> remote work, uh, remote messaging <laughs> kind of thing. Um, 
Walkie-talkies. So, yeah, Sau- Sauron <laughs> looks into the Palantir, and he thinks Saruman has the ring because there's a hobbit uh, in Saruman's country. You know, at that point, so Sauron thinks that uh, Saruman has the ring. Uh, Denethor has been looking at the Gondorian Palantir, and he thinks that Frodo has the ring, and he's, you know, taking it. At that point, actually, Sam has the ring. And Aragorn is the only one who kind of sees this. I'm going to look into the Palantir and I'm going to have Sauron draw the wrong conclusion, which is that I have the ring. And that's going to, that's going to make him think, okay, now I can corrupt Aragorn. And so Aragorn picks it up. And when Aragorn looks into the Palantir, he sees Arwen dead. The Palantir showed him the truth. Arwen was lying with her eyes closed. He drew the conclusion she has died. So now I don't have much to live for. So the, 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 and that is so much like social media that mm-hmm. you can, you can, several people can be exposed to a truth and draw the wrong conclusion from it. Oh. And that leads to absolute ruin and it leads to disagreement and misunderstanding. So all these other things are important to support truth, friendship, you know, contributing, fighting for one another, standing for one another. Nice. Okay. Um, so final notes from y'all before we drop into the uh, the, the big trivia test. Um, yeah. No, no. <laughs> so uh, we can go reverse order here. Joe, uh, what do you got left on your to-do list over there, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was... Uh, so I was going to point this out to you guys. So, in, in the, so Michael Pellerin is the person who made all these... Uh, the documentarian who made all the appendix footage. Do you remember the shot where uh, Denethor is being thrown back on his pyre and it's on fire? And in that same frame, you have Gandalf on Shadowfax with this fire. And it's like you can't have a horse in the same frame as fire. So they must have popped that in. That was actually a plate of glass. And there was a fire way off to the side. And so what you're seeing is the reflection of the fire in that glass. Uh, and so that horse is actually in the frame. That's uh, that fire is not comped and it's only in for probably 15, 15, 16 frames. But if you pause it, it's like they set that fire and fire. It just looks so friggin' good. So I, I love stuff like that. Uh, a, a really interesting thing was uh, so Kira Thungal, when Shelob stabs Frodo and Frodo's looking through that little valley at this t- tower way off in the distance. That also wasn't a comp. That was an actual tower that was actually pretty close to him, but built to a scale so that it looked super far away. So when you when you see it through the lens, it, it was just such a convincing job of adding depth to the frame that that tower looks so far away. But then when you see it, uh, you know, the documentarian camera, it's like, wow, that was like right up close to where... Where the action they was. did that opposite for with the ring too, right? They made a giant ring first. So like in the snow yeah, and they're walking it. through the snow and they had the close up on the ring. It looks like they're very close up, but it's actually a giant ring that they made. That's like, you know, the size of his head yeah. uh, for perspective, yeah. force perspective, I guess. Lesney didn't want to use a, a diopter to get the whole, <laughs> the whole thing in, in focus. Yeah. Oh, at the end, this is pretty common knowledge now, but now whenever you see uh, the four eagles at the end, because they brought one for Gollum, uh, that you know that was kind of a kind of a beautiful uh, act of kindness. Oh, Once you realize that, right? The yeah. one is for him. That I was wondering that actually. I was like, why yeah. are there multi- so many? Why is there another extra eagle? Like, oh, hoping that Gollum. Wow, cool. wow. <laughs> I know, right? 
I was, I was, I wanted to talk to you about this, Wes. Darren and I were talking about this. So at the beginning, now this this touches a little bit on the extended edition. Uh, at the beginning, you see the ring take over. You, well, in general, you see the ring take over people very quickly. It takes over Smeagol like instantly. Smeagol and Deagle fight over it instantly. Isildur only had it for a short while, and it started working on him. Uh, but Frodo, it seemed to take a long, long time. And and Sam was near it for a long time. Uh, and Darren pointed out that, uh, you know, Bilbo was holding the ring and had the opportunity to kill Smeagol back in The Hobbit. And there's something about the strength, not because Hobbits are corruptible, because Smeagol was a Hobbit. There's something about the Bagginses that he chose pity. And that was him defeating the ring in that moment. The ring cannot have expected that Bilbo wouldn't wouldn't kill him. So it's 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 interesting that it can easily corrupt it. Is it that it can more quickly corrupt the corruptible? The less corruptible you are, the harder a time it has. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's an interesting question. Obviously, uh, the two of you will have more insight into the the history of hobbits. Um, but I like that that angle on it. I mean, for the same reason that Gandalf doesn't get corrupted, right? Like, um, it's, it's the lack of desire, uh, on Gandalf's part, um, and, and the recognition of, of what the ring is and what it can do to him. But whenever you start talking about Bilbo, it gets way more interesting, right? Because he has no idea what he's found. And yet he, he's certainly hurt by it and it, and it leaves its lasting mark, but he does find a way to, maybe bend it more to his will than, than anything else. There is a, there is a shocking now, depending on how far you want to take it. Right. I think it's, it's worth noting that Sauron was still around a hundred years before Lord of the ring or whenever it was what, 60 years. Uh, what's the age gap between Hobbit thousands. He was called Gar. Gorthour in the first age. <laughs> <laughs> Between the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, what are we talking like? Like 60 50 years? That's 60 years. 60? Yeah. You, yeah, exactly. yeah. And so yeah. Sauron's around and yet Bilbo's over here popping the ring on and off like it's nobody's business and never really gets caught. I would like to, you know, reconcile that by thinking of Bilbo as this more pure spirit. And I think it goes back to what you said, the corruptible um, and and Bilbo uh, having the best of intentions. It was uh, an act of necessity, not one of malice, uh, the way he treated Gollum in their first meeting. And yeah. yeah. So there's something in that, the, the hearts of, of those hobbits, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say one of the deep dives that we had on the background just yesterday, even though we don't get him in the films at all, but Tom Bombadil is virtually, it doesn't bother him at all. He puts it on, he looks through the ring. They, there's like a quizzical moment they're talking about. You see his blue eye just looking through it and he just laughs and he puts hmm. it on and it does nothing to him. So that's one of those things. Another thing we would have added is to actually have Tom Bombadil. <laughs> right. <laughs> a depiction of him. <laughs> the most impossible character of the whole series. Would, right. He's just such an interesting, odd, and yeah, <laughs> it's his indifference, right? And that's largely why they, I've always heard it argued why Tom Bombadil didn't uh, take the ring in the first place, being somewhat un, un, uh, unaffected by it. It is also because maybe he's easily distractible and he just is just indifferent to everything that's going on anyway. Yeah, they were, they were posing a theory. There's like three different theories of what, of who they think he might be. 
one of the theories was that because Tolkien was um, devout Catholic, that that was his depiction of God in the universe. Like Tom Bombadil would be like a Jesus. Eru Iluvatar. Yeah. Being, being in the world. but Uncorruptible, but hiding as Tom Bombadil. So that, I love oh, that theory. That's just one that's of cool. many. Jesus. But... <laughs> yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, what else do you think, Joe? I was going to say, and so as far as, la- uh, you know, last little zingers I have written down here, uh, one of Heather's favorite moments in uh, is uh, Gilrain. So uh, Elrond and Aragorn speaking Aragorn's mother's last words to him. I touched on this earlier. Right? What, this and what does he say? Yeah. Well, you say it. You go ahead. <laughs> you start. Right. He's, uh, yeah. So in, in Elvish, they yeah, and you can see it with the uh, uh, subtitles, I gave hope to the Dunedain, but I've kept none for myself. So hope is capitalized in the text, and Aragorn's name in in Elvish when he was a kid was Estelle, which is the Sindarin word for hope. So she's saying literally, "I gave hope to the Dunedain, my son." Wow. Yeah, I gave my son to the Dunedain, but have kept none for myself. Uh, so yeah, one of the the tearful moments on the couch was us going, oh, "That's why it's a capital H." So if you're not looking at the text yeah. or have it up, you might miss that. You might think the literal hope, which is fine, but that means yeah. it has so much more weight when My Lord Elrond finds him to, to give him the reforged sword. It's just like, uh, just stab me in the heart. But yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, to, to finally convince Aragorn to take the paths of the dead, he says the first line and then Aragorn finishes it. And, oh. Speaks his mother's right. words. Yeah, it's just so good. Can't wait to read the quote <laughs> of the cry. day. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see. You'll see. Oh, You'll see. Hey. Nice. Cool. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's good for me. I've I've got like a hundred more notes. Yeah, course. we could keep going. <laughs> of course, um, that'll be in the extended version of the podcast. There's <laughs> 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 an extended version. Jesus, no, no. Um, the return so, of the pestle. So now we'll we'll have a a, a a battle, a trivia battle to determine who is the Lord of the oh, Lord uh-oh. of the Rings. Um, yeah. So. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and so. If if one of you gets it wrong, gets an answer wrong, the other one can steal. Um, and there's only nine <laughs> questions. I got five aimed at Joe and four aimed at, although uh, I'm beginning to think all of these questions are too easy after hearing you quote the original Elvish. Um, I think I'm under, <laughs> I've underestimated uh, uh, these questions. Um, so, Joe, first you, uh, who was the last king of Gondor? Before Aragorn? Correct. Was oh my god, I have no idea. I'm so bad mm. at Lord of the Rings trivia. Who Heather. was the last king before the line of stewards? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, disappointed. Uh, Heather, anything? No? <laughs> I said. Oh, man. I'm going to show up at your door. Have I caught any of this by osmosis? Like, I don't know. Okay. I don't know if I've ever heard. Okay. Ah, stalemate. Yep. <laughs> so last king of Gondor before the stewards was Aenor. Uh probably mispronouncing that, but uh he was the thirty-third and last king of Gondor. Aenor, he's got yeah. two little dots over his A, so I'm guessing he's Scandinavian in origin. <laughs> so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um Heather, right. what is Mary and Pippin's relationship? They are cousins, correct? Correct. I'm, I'm asking the Oh, sorry. Cousins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first cousins, if you wanted to drill down, but yeah. Um, okay. Joe. So one, one to Heather. Joe, name an ancestor <laughs> of Shadowfax. 
my god it's right on the tip of my tongue i swear do you even watch lord of the rings bro (laughs) (laughs) do you even work for weta oh my god it's right on the tip of my tongue i can't remember this is damn it this is first year ring stuff man (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty sure you've told me but i don't know if i know it either i I think i have yeah you have told me i cannot remember Uh, it'll come back to him at three in the morning fell her off (laughs) yeah he's uh yes yep fell her off shadow facts is a descendant of fell her off okay heather what is sauron's race wait what Oh man, I've got some okay. facts going through my head. Yeah. Okay, skip me. I can steal. Skip me. He steal. can steal. steal. <laughs> He's, he is a Maiar. Correct. A Maiar, ah! like Gandalf. <laughs> See, this oh, is why right. we shouldn't be doing the deep dives. <laughs> We're all tied up. We're all tied up. Joe. Nice. Uh, now, did I already say that one of these is going to be a trick question? It's not. I'm not going to say which, but I just had a note. Ah! Okay, so I'm, I don't know when it comes, but. Uh, Let's see. Your next question is um, the army of the dead before they were oath breakers were men of which mountain? Can, I cannot remember. It's not even in my head. Oh, I'm so bad at trivia. Oh, Heather, any idea? Oh, um, that look on your face says no. <laughs> no, I've got a lot of stuff. Going All, right. All right. We're going uh, with the white mountains or arid Nemorius. Yeah, as everyone knows. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> yeah, I again common knowledge. Um, <laughs> I love how you're like making him feel like total shit. This is so good. It's so good. <laughs> okay, this one I realized was too easy when Heather unprompted already gave me the answer to this, uh, and so yeah, uh, Heather, what is the name of Arwen's necklace? Even Star. Yeah, damn it, you're freaking wearing it right now I'm wearing right? It. <laughs> i also have galadriel's ring too but you can't see that oh man. this is ninja this is galadriel's ring gorgeous uh so joe <laughs> you're you're getting curb stomped and so uh joe <laughs> what is joe what is the witch king of angmar's real name he used to be a oh, king oh, what was yep. his real we name? Just, we just watched a whole Nerd of the Rings about him the other day, and he said the name. Uh, there is no way I'm going to be able to remember it. Oh, my God. Because he's one. I, I think he's the only one that we know the name of that, that Tolkien named, right? Do you remember? Do you remember, Heather? I'm oh, uh, <laughs> Maybe it's the whole being put on the spot. Because that's what yeah, I mean. We've got that's... too much information. Nope. So, on from our deep dives. No, I'm like, not, okay. Not going to remember. This one is a trick question because it is never given from all the research that I did. Oh, uh, really? It's never actually given. Yeah. Um, they just. So then which call, one do we There's know? one of them that has a name, though. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. Uh, but they just call this one Angmar oh, okay, because so. you never actually know hear his name. Okay. Um, ah, nice. interesting. <laughs> all right, Heather. Where is Gimli from? The Mines of Moria. No. Ah, Ooh, chance of steel. Like, oh wait, um, chance of steel. Go, he's the, gonna the rip my butt The blue ah! mountains. That's right. He, I, why do I? I always no. The mines of Moria is where his cousin Balin is. Yeah, that's so, right. Sorry. Yep. Correction. <laughs> Forever. All right. Uh, I didn't get it, but I redeemed myself a little bit. <laughs> Final question to Joe for the chance to win. We're all tied up at twos. To win it all. Okay, the orcs were elves. 
What race of elf were they? What was the original? Uh, I might be I'll helping you. No, Noldorian? They no. They were no, first no. Just the Noldor came uh, way after. Yeah, I don't, sure. I, I don't know any of those, those words. <laughs> shut up, shut up, Heather. Go. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking that they're from the first age, the first elves, mm, and we yeah. just watched the whole thing on the Valor. But uh close enough. So they were in the Silmarillion. <laughs> the uh, orcs are East Elves, the Avari. Oh, yeah. we should have known that. I wouldn't have gotten we, that. We did just they say, watch a on you learn something new every day. Yeah, I knew every yeah. answer. This is what they Look had in mind when they came up with that us. <laughs> I knew all Todd, Todd, Todd had it all. You guys are stupid. <laughs> He's the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, well played, y'all. Uh, I, I'm glad I didn't go too easy on you. <laughs> well done, so yeah i think uh i think that's all i got for today todd final final thoughts on the film uh my the only thing i wanted to add was kind of something that i started with which was mm-hmm. which is i see this movie as a metaphor for life in general i feel like i feel like we all we all go through things and we think that things should be easier than they are and when when we hit roadblocks which we always do Sometimes we think of it as like, I'm not meant to do this and we get bogged down and this shouldn't be so hard or, you know, something's telling me to stop or whatever, but that's all fake and it's not real. Just like the power of the ring was fake uh, in a way, you know, because it affected some people more than others. Right. Uh, and, And you need people around you like Sam to tell you, don't give up, take my hand, don't let go. That's it. And to get you through. It's, it's, it's brilliant you know, and, and it, it, I use it as a metaphor for life. Every time I watch it, I learn something else or it's reminded me to, to, to keep going. That, that's all I'll, I'll say. Oh, nice. Heather. What about you, Wes? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't, man, I, I don't know. It's funny that, you know, you, I've seen this, if Joe's seen it 40, then I feel like I've seen it once, but I, I've probably seen it 20 times, at least maybe 25 once a year minimum. And sometimes multiple times throughout the year. Uh, and, Man, if if this movie isn't timeless, there's there's a small collection of films that simply can never be remade. And I never thought growing up I would get to see a movie come out that should never be remade. Right. There's no more Casablanca's or uh, Gone with the Winds or Wizard of Oz. Right. It just felt like every story we're going to make is going to be retold and and rebooted. And and that's fine. That's life until this came out. And I was just like, man. Sometimes you don't need to say it again. It's been said, you know, uh, and this film is just such a journey. It's I read this, uh, the you know, the books in high school and I had a really hard time imagining everything I was seeing. I'm I'm not that kind of reader. You know, I, I just struggled. And so watching some of these moments that I struggled to to realize, like the the army of the dead, I did not understand in, in high school. I was reading the story and I just could not. I, I can. As a reader, I need things built up and dramatized a little bit over the top so that I can understand what I'm seeing. And whenever someone just kind of flatly says, yeah, there's an army of dead people under this mountain, you're going to go grab them. It's too simple. It's too uh, direct. And I needed it to be more like garnished than it was on the page. And having something like this, it's just absolutely astronomically incredible uh, what Peter Jackson did and 
you know, whatever flaws that I see and I prefer the DVD version over the Blu-ray version still, it still is just absolute magic. Uh, and it, you can't help but watch it and just say, I got to go make something. I got, I don't care what it is. If it's a pile of sticks in the backyard that I'm going to call like a tent, I don't care. Like I need to go do something and create and, and be better. God, this film. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, it's hard to not want to watch it all the time, you know? Yeah. Well so, uh, Heather, please, what, what's your lasting impression? I will agree that these films are timeless and they have been a huge part of our lives for so long. I knew them before my husband. I adore its content now to my bones. Um, all of the deep dives we've been doing, I, I feel like it's still shifting. I learn more all the time, as you just heard during our quiz. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it is a huge metaphor that, you know, the family you choose, you keep them close, you keep them tight to the chest because you might need them to give you that hand to keep you going. And, oh, but yeah, they've been a part of our lives for a long time. And every time we watch them, it just reminds you to take a look inside too, to take a look inside, but to also, yeah, keep, keep those people close to you who build you up and they hold you up and they prop you up when you need them to. Um, and now we live in middle earth and it's hard not to just want to go out to all the locations all the time. If you didn't have to work, that's what we'd be doing all the time. <laughs> but uh, every year we watch them at least once. Usually it's autumn time, you know, in the States. Uh, now our seasons have swapped. So now it's about now that we watch it over here. But yeah, like we, it's being over here where they created the films is absolutely incredible if you have a bad day in Middle Earth, all you got to do is just go to the Weta Cave and your mood will be changed instantly when you think about the feats that they had to go to. Or if you watch the making ofs and you see how they they had to create rain and block wind. And we stood on the site, you know, um, in the Canterbury Plains on Edoras, Mount Sunday. That view is my favorite one in the whole entire world. I, nothing's beat it yet. But you do a 45-minute hike and you're standing up there and you realize, oh, they never found Peter Jackson's glasses that blew down the hill. And they're giving you all these facts and you're like, we are actually standing in Middle Earth. So, yeah, when I say you may never be able to crowbar us away from here, that's probably quite <laughs> true for both of us. Unfortunately. But the films mean so much to us, right? Uh. <laughs> the films mean so much to us and they always will. But uh. every time we watch them, it's just, it's heartfelt and you have a restored faith and hope in humanity, essentially. Oh. <laughs> I could go on, but yes, I'll yeah. let my honey continue. <laughs> Joe, final word. Yeah. So there, there was a time, you know, in the, in the seventies and eighties where, where genre film was not super highly regarded. I remember there was live action dungeons and dragons television series that I actually ducked out of a hockey game that my dad had taken me to feigning a stomach ache. Cause I'm like, I, Dungeons and Dragons on TV. I got to see this. And it was the most <laughs> horrible piece of shit. Uh, the, the filmmakers and the actors obviously just loathed it. Everybody who made it hated it. And there, was, there just seemed to be such contempt in the industry for it. And so to see, you know, in, in the 90s, this kind of stuff being taken seriously uh, for the literature that it is. And to me, it kind of it reached a high watermark with the Lord of the Rings films. 
of showing respect to the source material and love for the source material. And it was it was just so glorious to see it and for the entire world to embrace it. You know, because in, in the 80s, you were not cool if you were a Lord of the Rings guy. And if you were also a Rush guy, uh, <laughs> it was just over for you. you, know, you, could, you Poor Jeff. <laughs> uh, but yeah, watching the whole world uh, be moved by it uh, is was was super special. So yeah, they'll, they'll always mean uh, they'll always mean that to me that the whole world kind of came together. <laughs> Am I really saying this? Am I really saying this? So everybody eventually got to learn that I was right. You know, <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> really, what I'm saying. That's it. That's, That's it. it. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. That's awesome. So, real quick around the horn, um, recommendations for the week. Uh, Heather, what are you going to recommend? Oh, goodness. I, I know this is a question that you pose. Um, can you come back to me? Yes, we can. Well, Heather, yeah, you were going to recommend the Nerd of the Rings channel. Oh, yeah. Actually, actually, that would be, yeah, Nerd of the Rings. And then there was one other one we were watching, too. But his content, and especially, Geek. and Deep Geek is the other one, uh, particularly the one uh, about Melkor and why, he, why the name changes. And that's the only hint I will give you. You have to nice. go do your own homework. <laughs> nice. Joe, what do you got? Uh, I've got to recommend all, uh, I don't know how many hours there are, 50, 60 hours of appendices for the three films. They're a little hard to come by now because they haven't been, as far as I know, they haven't been re-released. But it really is uh, kind of a film school. There, there's just so much you can learn about the process and about the people and about the technology that was invented uh, and kind of the special, not only that it was in New Zealand, but at a special time in New Zealand that uh, mm-hmm. kind of the country came together to make these films uh, a reality. So uh, if you can get your hands on the Blu-rays uh, or the DVDs of any of the films, each one of them comes with two or three discs of just making of documentary. And uh, if you're at all interested in film or at all interested in Lord of the Rings, I think they're a fantastic touching educational watch i just love them nice uh todd yeah so i I was gonna recommend one thing but actually so my my whole family and i we we well really my kids and i we just got through all the mcu the entire the entirety of it all of them uh yes me and my nine and six year olds we (laughs) went through all of them um that kind of dad well, because he wanted to see Spider-Man and we're like, well, you can't just see Spider-Man. You got to watch them all. And then he was like, well, what about Thanos? Oh, you want Thanos? I'll give you Thanos, but you got to go through 30 other movies. <clears throat> um, so <laughs> so we slowly went through it. It took us a couple of months, but I'm going to recommend Endgame uh, because it is when you talk about epic stories. And you, I mean, it was not all the movies are great throughout the entirety, but for 10 years, they just told story after story of story to lead to a certain point and damn it. Did it pay off in the end? I have my whole family, including my son crying on the couch, you know, and it, that that's, it was such a moving experience for me as a father, you know, cause I had, I had that experience watching all the Lord of the Rings with my son and then going through it through all MCU and watching Endgame uh, with my whole family. And we're all crying. It was just the best. It was just the best. So I recommend the entirety of MCU. How's that? Because you can't just watch Endgame. You won't get it. You got to watch them all. So there. 
<laughs> no. Nice. That was my uh, my first my first Weta credit was in game. I was about to say that too. His first credit Ooh. the year after we got here, the first year. Be sure okay. to be sure to watch the Weta credits. Was Endgame? <laughs> yeah. Was oh Endgame, my god, yeah. dude! I'm going to I look. Had friends That's who had been there for a while who hadn't had a credit yet, and I got it on Endgame. So just luck of the luck of the draw. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my gosh. Nice. I'm going to have a weird recommendation, um, which is I can only imagine how much uh, energy it takes for making this movie or if you're one of the the hobbits or Aragorn, like he's, he's probably sipping mochas and uh, cappuccinos every morning in order to get his juices going, you know, for battle. And so I, but uh, not all coffee is, is good coffee. So I'm going to recommend coffee filters, which I know sounds really weird, but about two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, uh, there was a, a study published and it was this huge, uh, analysis of people ranging from like 20 to 70 years old and looking at the effects of coffee on them. And they found that there are a lot of great effects, but there's also a lot of bad effects. And uh, apparently what they discovered was if you filter your coffee like a paper filter, not just any kind of filter, but paper filter, uh, it removes the oils in the coffee. And they think that that oil is really bad for your heart. And so by fil filtering your coffee, you're able to get all these nice benefits without any of the negative benefits. And so I, for the last two years have been, you know, filtering my, I French press it and then I'll, I'll pour it through a paper filter. And I will say, I noticed a pretty immediate difference within a, a couple of weeks. I just felt the, and maybe it's a placebo. Uh, I will grant you that possibility. Um, but I swear I felt uh, a little bit more, I don't know, less pressure in my heart. I don't know how to explain it, but sometimes you just feel your heart acting a little, a little. yeah, a little jittery and that's all gone away. Like I haven't felt that since. Um, and I've never been a huge coffee drinker. And so, yeah, I will link you to the, the, the New York times article where I discovered it and, and one other one, uh, so that you can read more about this study. But, uh, yeah, so it sounds silly, but Paper coffee filters is what I'm recommending this week. That yeah. is amazing because I've been having a lot of trouble with coffee lately. We talked about me like cutting out coffee and I've been doing it and yeah. I hate it, but I've been, yeah, I've been having problems. I'm going to try to do that. Thank you for that recommendation. You're welcome. <laughs> and so stay tuned for next week. Are we good on this one, Todd? Uh, we're going to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so stay tuned. Next week, we're going to take a look at the new movie from Alex Garland, my favorite writer, uh, called Men. Yeah. And so don't just go Googling men. Uh, you'll probably <laughs> run into some images hey, hey. you don't like, uh, but attach Alex Garland to it. And suddenly, you know, you might have a positive result. Um, yeah. So we're going to take a look at his new film um, and see what's going on there. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget Drop us a review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to uh, our podcast. And don't be afraid to leave us a note if there's something uh, you want us to, to cover. Uh, we got some more requests coming up in the coming weeks uh, that we will finally get to. Um, but yeah, and if you want to leave a note on this episode in particular, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash the return of the king. And we will leave you with a quote of the day from Charles Dickens, what I was telling you guys earlier. It's always something to know you've done the most you could, but don't leave off hoping or it's of no use doing anything. Hope, hope to the last.
So, so oh, great. Wow. Oh, Amazing so quote. relevant to this. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Good choice, Wes. Well done. Yeah, you, you get that feeling, right? Whenever Gandalf is trying to get everyone, like, or I guess Aragorn more explicitly, uh, just trying to get everyone geeked up, right? Even Theoden has that moment when he has to look his men in the eyes three days before battle. And they're like, we can't win this. He's like, you're right. We can't. And here we go. Like, you can only do that one way, right? You can only ride into your demise just hoping. You don't know what's going to come. You know you really can't win based on the way things are right now. But if you're going to fight to the end, you need to have some kind of hope that says, I don't know where where victory comes from, but uh, I'm not stopping anyway. And here we go. Yeah, I don't know. I just was curious about quotes from hope. And when I see Dickens come up uh, in contrast to uh, another great writer uh, like Tolkien, I got to hear what he's got to say. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well, th- Joe, Heather, it's been such a pleasure. Obviously, this has been a long one, but uh, one of my favorites, as it always is, whenever we have you guys on the podcast. Thank you for wasting your day with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us. And it's not a waste. We love it. Anytime. Anytime. Thank Careful. you. And thank you guys for the pestle because it's just constantly a joy. It's it's only disappointing when I haven't seen the film, so I can't listen and I have to wait until I see the film so I can listen. But you 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 keep me company uh, in the shower, apparently. Uh, <laughs> on my way to work, on my way home from work. Uh, I just I, I'm always getting something out of your discussions. Uh, just I love this podcast. So thank yeah. you guys for keeping it up. And we get to hear your voices because we missed you. We're not in the same city with you anymore. So, <laughs> Yeah, right back at you. Thank you guys so much. That means a lot to us. And, and to all of you out there, just like just like Joe and Heather said, if there's a, a film that you guys would like to see us review, please let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please you know, recommend us to your friends. Subscribe, review us. All that stuff really helps and really matters and really helps us, uh, um, Wes especially, keep this going. Um, until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. I'm Joe. I'm Heather. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.